You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. I, know I, was, I was thinking about um, well, a lot of what he, he shared, and Greg and I were talking about it on Tuesday, and it reminded me that, you know, how many of you have ever seen a really good mystery, a really good film where you get to the end of the film and there's a twist, and then you're like, oh, I should have saw that coming. <laughs> Have you ever seen a movie like that? I mean, like that old movie, Sixth Sense, at the very end, it kind of reveals, and you're like, how did I not see that? <laughs> and then you go back and you watch it, and you kind of see it in a different way when you watch it a second time, right? Well, the Bible is kind of like that. The Bible is kind of like that, where there, God is revealing himself, and then toward the end, you kind of like, oh, that's what he's talking about. And in the book of um, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, I encourage you to read the whole chapter. You know, Paul there, he says, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. So Paul calls it a mystery, what he's unpacking in Ephesians chapter 3. And in verse 6 specifically, he says, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews, so all people who believe the good news, share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. Now, in, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul calls this both a mystery, but he also says it was God's plan all along. And so what he's saying is, we didn't get it. <laughs> it was a mystery to us, but when we look back and when we read the scriptures all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, what, what God says to Adam and Eve when he's dealing with them in the garden and we, we look at how he speaks to Abraham and what he says to Abraham and how he works with the Israelites. And all throughout, his plan is there. And it's the same plan. And it's working and it's, and it's developing. And Paul says, it was a mystery to us. But looking back, and we have the benefit of the whole scriptures looking back and seeing God's plan unfold. But it's the same plan. And, and, but yet, there's this mysterious element to it. As Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. Your heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. That's been the, that's been the narrative all along. They just didn't get it all the way along. It kind of reminds me of my refrigerator. Guys, how many of have you been sent to the refrigerator to find something and you're looking there and you can't see it. <laughs> any, any other guy? Come on. And you know that if you say it's not there, she's going to walk right over and say, it's right here. <laughs> you just got to move stuff. I remember I was thinking about a, a couple months ago, my wife was traveling. I don't remember where she was, but she was traveling and she really takes care of me. She, she made a list of what the food that we could eat based upon what was in the home so I wouldn't have to go to the store. And so pesto pasta I was supposed to make with chicken and and I'm looking in the fridge for pesto, and I'm looking in the cabinets for pesto sauce. And I know my wife said that we have it, so I, I believe that we have it. But I had to call up a friend of mine to say, would it be in the refrigerator or the cabinet? And I looked, I think I looked for like 20 minutes. I found it. I don't remember where it was. I'll probably never find it again. But sometimes we don't see it when we're looking until, until much later. We're like, oh, well, it's easy when you walk over and you say it's right there. And that's kind of what Paul is doing when he says that the mystery has been revealed to us. It's not that God was hiding, because God wants to reveal himself to us. But we don't get it. 
necessarily right up front. And he, he reveals that. And so I just go back and, and listen to that message and, and see what's there. Sarah Hale, she's a woman who wrote the song, Mary Had a Little Lamb. But she also lobbied Americans for 30 years, and these are her words, to put aside sectional, sectional feelings and local incidents and rally around the unifying cause of thanksgiving. For 30 years, she lobbied the American people, and there was colonies and states that celebrated thanksgiving in different ways, but she lobbied for 30 years for us to set aside those things that divide us and have this moment of thanksgiving. And then in 1862 or 1863, Abraham Lincoln declared that for a, for a national holiday. During the middle of the Civil War, he said, we should give thanks as a nation. And the idea of, of thanksgiving for Sarah Hale and, and for Abraham Lincoln and for so many of us, and there's, there's people even look to, to thanksgiving and kind of how we highlight you know, a, a good moment, but there's been so many other moments in our history, and that's true. But if we can, just for a moment, just set aside the things that divide us and just give thanks together. That was the dream of Sarah Hale, and we get to do that with Thanksgiving this week, to, to be grateful. And it commemorates, you know, we, we talk about it in school, commemorates that autumn harvest feast from 1621 when the, the passengers on the Mayflower come across and they experience what we call winter, <laughs> but they weren't prepared for it, right? And then some, some natives and Squanto comes, and Squanto had been a, a slave before, and he comes and he teaches them how to harvest corn and how to, to tap the maple trees to get sap and how to do so many things to fish. And they're able to have the autumn harvest feast together and to put aside their differences. And they end up, they end up um, having an agreement, a, a treaty between the people and the local tribe that lasted for 50 years. And that's what we're celebrating Thanksgiving is to set aside those things and to come together and to give thanks. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is thanks, is talk about gratitude. And gratitude is, is really so, so key in understanding the scriptures. And we have so much to be thankful for. We just need to kind of remind ourselves just how good we have it. I was thinking about that this week with just what are the things that I'm thankful for? You know what I'm thankful for? Not having AOL. Remember, remember America Online? Can anybody make that sound? Like, <laughs> and you're watching the picture load, and now if I, if I type in a website and it takes three seconds, I'm like, what is wrong with Spectrum? You know, I'm not grateful for, for what I have or... You know, Walmart pickup. Anybody could do Walmart pickup? Like, we just be grateful for Walmart pickup. <laughs> but I get to, my wife puts in the order. I go, I just sit there. They come out and they hand me the stuff. I don't have to go into Walmart. Or you need to remember how thankful we are if, you know, if Amazon takes three days to deliver, how many of us are like, where is my package? <laughs> we need to be, <laughs> be thankful. Wikipedia. I was thinking about uh, Encyclopedia Britannica and how long it took to find what I'm looking for, and now it's all just there. We have so much, guys, to be thankful for that we just need to choose to see it. My father-in-law used to say that he was born too late. 
meaning that he, he wanted to be born like in the pioneer days. And I would reply, I was born too soon. <laughs> and when we were living in Uganda, probably the one thing that I just could not handle was not having a washing machine and how much work it was <laughs> to, to wash clothes. And, you know, how many, we, we just have so much to be thankful for. And that's not to say that we have so much that's so much pain and so much heartache and, and so many things that are difficult because we do we, we all do but sometimes it just is important to take a moment and just think about what am i thankful for what what blessings do i have that my car starts <laughs> that i that i can go to stewart's and get awesome ice cream <laughs> There, there's so many things to be, to be thankful for. And gratefulness is really, as I said a moment ago, is a, key, is a key to understanding the message of Jesus, the good news, and the scriptures. I want to look at a, at a story in Luke chapter 7. You can open up our Bibles or type in your phone in the Bible app or whatever you have. We have Bibles in the back on, on those shelves. And in Luke chapter 7... Beginning in verse 36. So Jesus has been teaching and he's been interacting with some, some local religious leaders and Pharisees and he ends up going um, to, the, to the home of one of the Pharisees that had, had been interacting with him. And it says in verse 36 that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered his thoughts. I love how Jesus does this. He says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? It's a simple question. Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, which would have been a common courtesy. It would have been a common courtesy to bring some water and to wash your guests' feet. But she didn't do, he didn't do that. But she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, which would have been the custom to embrace. And I don't, maybe not a kiss for me. I'll take a, one of those Tommy hugs, Tommy Egan's hugs. But he didn't even do that. He didn't extend that courtesy. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the same, from the time I came in, this one has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, 
but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? But Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When I look at this passage, and honestly, it's, there's, some, there's many passages that kind of make me uncomfortable. And this is, this is one of them, because this is an uncomfortable scene. Uh, let's, let's be honest. This is an uncomfortable scene. This woman is, is sitting at Jesus' feet, and she's crying, and she's pouring oil of alabaster on Jesus' feet, and it, it's quite a scene. But what we see when Jesus responds to Simon, you see, like, he kind of says, well, look, well, the difference between you, you are thankful that I'm even in your home and not extending me the courtesy of water to wash my dirty feet or giving me an embrace as I come to your, to your house or anointing me with oil as would be a custom. But this woman has gone, like, overboard. And then he tells a story about, about two, two people who have a debt and I know we can imagine, like, if, if you woke up tomorrow and your credit card bill was just zeroed out, you know, if you had a $100 charge, you'd be like, oh, that's nice. But if you had, I don't know, $5,000 on your credit card and it just was down to zero, I mean, wouldn't you just be ecstatic? <laughs> wouldn't you be, in a sense, more grateful? And that's what Jesus is saying, that this woman is expressing an un a depth of gratitude and if I'm, when I look at this passage, if I'm honest with myself, I identify more with Simon than I do with the woman. And you see, Simon, he was a, a religious leader, and he, he spent his life trying to do the right thing. And so when asked which one needs to be forgiven more, he would say, well, she needs to be forgiven more than I do. I haven't done that much. But I think it's missing the point of what Jesus is saying. Because to the depth that you feel forgiveness, to the depth that you feel gratitude, uh, that you feel forgiveness and love, is the depth which, which you can express love in return and gratitude in return. And I, I'm thinking about that just for myself and how do I really understand what God has done for me? Is my expression toward God reflective of how I understand him? And I, I'm probably not going to be the first person to do what this woman did. I mean, I just, I just get uncomfortable thinking about it. But when thinking about the depth of forgiveness and love that she understood from Jesus is what's driving her, you kind of get it. And you wonder, like, how, how do I experience that for myself? Like I said, if, if I'm honest, I've, I've tried to do the right thing. I know how many of you drive down Andrew Street and you see that blinking sign that says, slow down. <laughs> How many of you just ignore it? <laughs> Thanks for your honesty, Brad. How many of you never see it say, slow down, because you're doing the right thing? That's probably my wife is saying, oh, that's Sherry. <laughs> or how many of you just have constant guilt? Oh, that's, that's me. <laughs> just constant guilt. I'm not slowing down enough, but... I at least feel bad about it. <laughs> you know, the DMV 
it's pretty, the, the rules that we have for the road are pretty ingenious in my opinion. <laughs> there's, there's a couple areas, there's, there's one uh, four-way stop that I come to all the time bringing my kids to school. And it really, it, and I remind that my, my son just turned 16 and we're going through uh, the manual to, to learn the rules of the road. And, and so I, I teach him, when you come to a four-way stop, you really, every, you should know exactly what to do, right? If, if, if I come to the stop first, who goes first? Me. If you come to the stop first, who goes first? But if we come to the stop at the same time, <laughs> The person on, oh, thank you, she read, she read the manual. <laughs> the person on the right. And yet, what happens to me is I'll, I'll come to a stop, and it's clear that that person has the right of way, and they wave me on, and I get annoyed. <laughs> like, do you not know how to drive? You have the right of way. I don't have the right of way. This is how rules break down. This is how society crumbles. <laughs> This is my neurosis, and some of you are going, I totally get it. Others, you're like, man, he needs to just chill out. <laughs> but when I, when I do that, I'm not experiencing gratitude in that moment for the person waving me on. I'm just annoyed. <laughs> I'm not overflowing. I'm not overflowing with gratitude. When I was taking, a, I was thinking about this yesterday, I was taking my dog for a walk, and I noticed that I was not, never, like three or four times in a row, I was not the first person to say, good morning. I was, the person that was coming my way would be the first, and I thought, man, what's wrong with me? <laughs> that I don't, I don't see people, and I know, I know it's not a huge deal. But I wondered, thinking about this passage, and thinking about this woman, and thinking about the depth that she understood love, the depth that she felt forgiven, the depth that she felt her, her sins washed away. Am I showing that? Am I experiencing that? Am I full of gratitude to where I'm just like, it's like am I like Mason who's just excited to just say, hey, Justin, how's it going? Like, I, I love that. And that's a challenge to me because I'm more like, just to be honest, I'm more like Simon in this passage. I'm good. Love you, Jesus. But I'm good and you did, man, you really... Jesus, you knocked it out of the park. You died on the cross. You forgave our sins. Like, that, that is so important. But have I let it sink in to my bones? I'm challenged by that. <laughs> Simon and the woman. We could look at this passage and wonder, is Jesus saying that if you had more skeletons in the closet, you'd be more grateful? Now, Paul talks about this. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. How many have heard that before? And we think, yeah, Paul was a pretty bad guy before he came to know Jesus. But I, that's, I, I <laughs> Paul wasn't that bad. I mean, he was doing what he thought was right. He lived according to the law and did it to the best of his ability. And if you compare him to his leader, Emperor Nero at the time was burning people in his garden to light up his garden at night. I mean, I think that's a little bit worse than Paul. So if we're doing a comparison game, 
Paul is not the worst of all sinners. I mean, we've had some pretty bad sinners in, in history. Paul does not rank up there. But Paul understood something because he thought he was doing the right thing until he met Jesus. And his encounter with Jesus, the, what, what he saw in Jesus, what he understood through Jesus, revealed to him the depth of his need for him and how much he was not seeing things properly before that. And he was confronted how much, man, I really need Jesus. So it's, it's when we are honest with ourselves and we see where we, where we fail, because we all do, and we put on our nice clothes and we shave and we come together, or I didn't, didn't shave today, but we come together and we look all good and we put our best picture on social media and we present that, but we know where we struggle. But when we just gloss it over and not acknowledge it, I wonder if we're fooling ourselves and thinking, man, I really need God to, to fill me with his love and his forgiveness. Be touched by that and be, be overwhelming gratefulness in return. In 1 John 4, 7, here's another story I want to I look at, or this is a different one. 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And there's patches like this where, where the scriptures and, and the authors of the scriptures where they tell us that if we understand the depth of God's love for us, it's that much easier to extend that love to other people. And that's why when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 or 15, he says, but if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Jesus forgave all sins. So it's not, Jesus is not saying that God is not going to forgive you. I think what he's saying is that if you withhold forgiveness from somebody else, you can't receive God's forgiveness for yourself. That if I'm unable to forgive somebody who hurts me, if I'm unable to do that, then I haven't really understood what he's forgiven me for. Because if I truly understand what God has done for me, if I've opened myself up to understand the depth of his love for me, the scripture says that that should overflow in our forgiveness and our love for other people. And we ought to take stock of ourselves. Am I extending forgiveness the way that Christ extended forgiveness for me? Am I extending love the way that God extended love for me? I, I'm challenged by that. In Luke chapter 17 there's another story. Beginning in verse 11. It says, And Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem. He reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, 
go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of the leprosy, which is just like God. <laughs> to say, in, in your going, I'm going to do something for you. He wants them to do something. But then in verse 15, it says, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your, your faith has healed you. When I look at this passage, and let's follow along. Jesus sees ten men, ten people that have been plagued by leprosy, which is the horrible existence, especially in their day, that they've lost everything. And they, they all cry out. They all look to Jesus for healing. And Jesus says, give, Jesus gives them an instruction to go do. And as they turn to go do it, they all experience healing. And one returns to Jesus and falls at his feet and thanks him. Jesus told them all to go to the priest. So this is the one that came back is the one who disobeyed what Jesus told him to do. <laughs> right? Jesus said go to the priest. He didn't. Which for my mind, if Jesus told me to go do something, I'm, I'm, the way that my brain works, I'm like, I got to go do this. No, like, but I'm not, instead, I'm not overwhelmed by what just happened to me to where I can't do anything but pour out gratitude and love for Jesus. See, this guy got something that the other nine didn't. That he's able, he's, he's able to, to bring that healing into his heart to where it totally just wrecks him and he has to go and fall at the feet of Jesus and praise Jesus. And Jesus sees that and he says, your faith has healed you. And I think he's speaking more. He's already healed him of leprosy when he says, your faith has healed you. I think there's something deeper going on. And I, and I wonder, I, if I'm honest with myself, I think I would have been one of the other nine, just trying to do the right thing. <laughs> trying to be right. Trying to drive right. <laughs> Instead of being in the moment and being overwhelmed by the love and graciousness and healing power of Jesus and letting that drive me. I probably would be one of the nine, like I said, just trying to do the right thing. And, you know, they weren't wrong. They didn't sin by going. But what Jesus is saying here, and similar to what he says to Simon versus Simon and the woman, is she understands what just happened. She has let it seep into her soul, and she can't help but pour out her, her tears at my feet. And the same with this man. This man comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. They are overwhelmed with gratitude. Am I? Are you? Have you let Jesus in deep enough? Have you received his forgiveness in all areas of your life? Have you let that love sink into where it just drives you back in gratefulness and adoration and worship to him? This is a, a challenge 
for me. And this is a challenge for us. And as we come to Thanksgiving and, and we have this week of being, being grateful and being thankful and remind ourselves of what all we have to be grateful for, to where we allow that to seep into our souls and be people of gratefulness and be people of worship and be people of love that can show love because he first loved us. When we rely on our own righteousness, we miss the essence of the good news. And Paul has so much to say about that. When you read Romans and Hebrews and just the scriptures. Where, where we mess up is where when, when we rely on what we did, it just doesn't work. But I still do that. We, we, we try to do the right thing. We set our alarms. We're here for church. We're doing what God wants us to do. I read my Bible. I, I, I do those things. And, and when, when we rely too much on those things, I think we don't allow the depth of the gospel, the depth of the message of Jesus, the depth of the scriptures to, to really shape who we are. I was listening, I saw a meme this week of a, of a pastor, and he was saying, if I'm preaching right, it should lead you all to go out and want to sin more so that grace could abound. <laughs> and he's quoting Paul, and he says, if I'm, if I'm saying what Paul said, it should lead you to the logical conclusion, well, I should just sin more so that grace can be afforded out more so that I experience more grace. That's how much we should understand the grace of God that is not based upon what we do. But of course, Paul says, of course not. Don't, don't go out and sin and make a mess of your life so that you can experience more grace. That is not the point. Please don't go out <laughs> and, and find a need for God's grace. That's not helpful for you or us. But if we truly understand the gospel, if we truly understand that it has nothing to do with you, <laughs> that you don't earn it in any way, we should be kind of shaken by that <laughs> and realizing I can't earn it. When I tend to want to earn it, <laughs> I tend to want to live up to it. I tend to want to just do the right thing because that's what I'm supposed to do. But when I allow that thinking to dominate me, I forget that I just need to be grateful and thankful and fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him. That's an uncomfortable thought for me. But it's one that I want to live into. As a father, as a husband, as a neighbor, I want that grace to flow out of me. And what I see in these stories is the people that have that grace flowing out of them are ones who have let it in, <laughs> who have recognized what it has done in them and have fully wrestled with that or just received that. In Isaiah 61, the prophet writes, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. Philippians chapter 3. 
Paul says, yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. I am no longer, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, Paul says, For the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift. I love how practical Paul is. <laughs> when you work, your wages are not a gift. You've earned them. But something that they have earned. But people are counted righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sin. I know that we believe that, but do we let that sink in? You did not earn God's love. You can't unearn God's love. You can't do enough where God withholds his forgiveness from you. God will let you reject it. God will let you walk away, absolutely. But you can't earn more of God's love. Do we really get that? When you just stop trying so hard, stop counting on those things. And I, I really think that if we can let go of that desire to be right and to do right and to, to earn it, and are just overwhelmed with gratefulness that what comes out in return will be better. <laughs> it's like myself and my car. If I can just let go of being right <laughs> and just acknowledge, hey, thanks. What will flow out of me will be gratefulness. He continues, in verse 6, he says, David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. This is Old Testament. David says, David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. It's a simple message. And yet the deepest message that's ever been spoken. The gospel, not mine. <laughs> the scriptures, it's so deep. And yet so simple. Jesus, through the Father, offers forgiveness for everything you've done, everything you're doing, everything that you will do tomorrow. God wants to forgive you and free you from that so that you can live a life of response in worship and gratefulness and thanksgiving. And I think that is more motivating than any law or right standing I can earn for myself. Does your heart overflow with gratefulness? I invite you to stand with me to open your eyes 
and to see the blessings around us. Again, not denying the troubles, because God doesn't want us to deny those. He wants us to bring those before him. We're not denying the struggle. We're not denying the heartaches. We're not denying the pain. All we're doing is being open to experiencing the good and recognizing what all that we truly have to be thankful for. As Paul wrote my last scripture here in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, said, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus, to be thankful in all circumstances. It's possible to be thankful in all circumstances, to be like the woman at the feet of Jesus or the cleansed leper at the feet of Jesus to be thankful in all circumstances. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.